the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. New year, same great content. Visit theathletic.com slash spot track. Get yourself 40% off your first year subscription for the entirety of 2021. Of course, they're covering the end of the regular season in the NFL. The 62 spot from Steph Curry last night and plenty more. The NHL is just ooh, just about a week away here from getting going. Hopefully, cross fingers. And Major League Baseball training camps are about 40 days away. So, plenty to get to. You want a one-stop shop. It is The Athletic, theathletic.com slash Bodrek. Today, my name is Mike Giannetti. Happy Monday morning. Happy end of the regular season for the NFL. It was a weird, wild week 17. Of course, I have to open <laughs> with the elephant in the room that is the Philadelphia Eagles. We'll start there. Look, we talk about tanking. We talk about if you're not going to win, lose on this show all the time. You know kind of where I stand with that. There's uh, there's no sense in going eight and eight in this league, unfortunately, and it's because of the way that the rules are written. And until the NFL changes those rules, there are just certain instances where it's better to lose than to win. With that said, there's a craftsmanship to it, right? I mean, you don't have to make it as blatantly obvious as pulling your young up-and-coming, need-to-get-as-many-reps guy as you, as you want in Jalen Hurts for the fourth quarter. Yes, he was struggling. Yes, he made a bad play on fourth down. You know, there was a chance they could have won that game. It looked competitive for three quarters. So I'm not going to crush the Eagles here. But look, if the goal was to go out there and lay an egg for a draft position, which I totally get, okay? I totally get it. Look at they're going to be taking some serious dead cap next year in Philadelphia. Serious. We've talked about it already. It is not going away. You know, they're going to move on from Alshon Jeffrey. They're likely going to move on from Carson Wentz, maybe Fletcher Cox. There's a bunch of names on a, on our roster bubble list, you know, because they're in cap hell to some degree. And just because there's some bad contracts on that roster right now, that's not a playoff team. And there's a lot of high paid players on that roster. Zach Ertz, of course, probably out the door. Unfortunately, they get the number six spot. That's a big deal to them. That's a big deal to a franchise that's going to have to eat a lot of cap space for players out the door. So, you know, you don't want to be 10. You want to be six. They're six. It's a good draft pick. You can really get a, get a franchise changing player there. But there are better ways to do it. There are better ways to market it, to sell it to cover it up, right? How about just running the ball 95% of the game? How about just that? Isn't it that easy? Let's just abandon the passing game, play ground and pound ball. And if you end up winning that game, well then shame on Washington. But you know, Washington had enough playmakers out there and a certainly a strong enough run defense with that front four to, to be able to mitigate a run first attack. And, you know, pulling the quarterback on national TV and getting killed by the NBC guys, getting killed by Twitter, certainly getting the angst of Giants nation. And oh, by the way, let me get my jab in there, even though I've already gotten it on Twitter. If you're six and ten, <laughs> regardless of whether you think you should be a playoff team or not, you can't be pissed off that somebody else's team didn't win. That's just a fact. 
you can't be six and ten and mad that a you're not in the playoffs or b that another team in your division, your crosstown rival didn't help you get in the playoffs. That is ridiculous. So enough of that. Yes, the Eagles were tanking. Yes, the Jaguars were tanking. Yes, the Jets tanked yesterday. Okay, a lot of bad teams made sure they were bad yesterday to move up the ladder a little bit in terms of that draft position. That's the way the things are set up. That's the way the draft works. Okay, until they start pulling ping pong balls out of a machine, it makes sense to go seven and nine instead of eight and eight. It makes sense to go four and 12 instead of five and 11 just does. So I'm not going to kill anybody too much here, but I think Doug Peterson could have done a better job there. Should have done a better job. NBC deserved it. The NFL deserved it. The players on that roster certainly deserve, especially the ones that are going to be out the door here, especially the ones like Zach Ertz who, you know, have had long, good careers on that Philly, in that Philly organization and are now that was their last game. That's the taste they have to walk away with. That sucks. Okay. Jason Kelsey, a couple of those players who have really blood, sweat and teared for that team. And, uh, you know, it's one thing to know you're on a bad team. It's one thing to know that your organization is trying to slip up a little bit in terms of the draft position, but man, there are just better ways to do it. There are, I mean, Nate Sudfeld, had no business being on that field. He has, we have seen him before. They have given him an ample shot. He's a backup quarterback. <laughs> okay. He is not the guy to replace Jalen Hurts on a primetime game in the fourth quarter and uh, not have a reason to back it up. So just, that's it. Just sell it better. All right. Little gamesmanship. Run the ball 85% of your snaps and go from there. But uh, look, the teams that got in, it's fun. We're going to talk about it. I'm going to bring in Scott here, talk some numbers for the playoffs. Look at the high-paid players, see where those teams ranked. Uh, talk about some gambling here. A little bit of everything in terms of the NFL. And uh, and then Scott's got a really neat segment real quick on, uh, on the Baseball Hall of Fame situation. We're going to bring that back up and recap where that may stand currently. Well, let's bring in Scott and talk some numbers. Before we do that, today's show is sponsored by the Online Betting Guide. Do you consider yourself an NFL expert? How about an NBA expert? All right, they're going to shift gears here now that the regular season is over in the NFL. There's going to be plenty to talk about in the NBA now, especially like I mentioned with Steph going big last night. The Brooklyn Nets are coming back down to earth. We've got a couple of middling teams starting to climb up those standings. This is going to be a survival season in the NBA. And if you're betting the NBA, you're going to need some help. And this is the best place to go. The online betting guide, OLBG.com. It's a sports betting community where expert handicappers share their predictions. And then you kind of all compete together against each other for the top place in the leaderboard. And at the same time, you're helping each other make informed betting decisions. So learn the process, learn the trends, all these things for all these seasons. Like I said, shifting gears now to the NBA, maybe even the NHL, if that's your thing. Show them what you've got today. Visit olbg.com, the online betting guide. Scott, welcome back to the show. Happy week 18 of the NFL, getting close to the NHL season. What's what's got you going here? What are you kind of watching the most right now? Are you deep into the NBA or is is it tough to get going on that even right now? No, I've been watching that in NFL, uh, but I, I've been trying to catch as much of the NBA as possible between live TV or league pass on my phone or tablet as I'm moving around. So I've been trying to keep up as much as possible with that. 
All right. Well, look, you're in the Washington area. <laughs> I'm not going to focus on that game too much more because I just had a big open about it. As you might imagine, you know, me and coffee plus rant. Um, look, they're in. <laughs> it's a heck of a story. I mean, it is the story of the season, regardless of what you want. I mean, the, the Brady Belichick situation that can be what it can be. I can lay to rest. Alex Smith and Ron Rivera after that ridiculous offseason with, with the Washington franchise are seven and nine in the postseason and playing Tom Brady. Let's just start right there. I've got some quick numbers here. They were plus 2200 to win this division to start the year. So a lot of people out there in that area probably made a lot of money on this team. Really just dumb luck is what this was. But here's the question I'm going to pose back to you because it kind of looks ahead, which is the point of today's show. If Alex Smith plays 16 games, I don't even think this division's close. <laughs> no, not at all. Is that even arguable? This team moved well with Al- if Alex Smith and Antonio Gibson are healthy 100% of the year. I think this is a 10 win team in that division. I think they run the division and probably win a couple of sneakers outside of it as well. So this is the right team to win. Andy Dalton just didn't have the full package in Dallas, even though that offense is potent, you know, and, and I'm not going to speak to the Giants anymore because I just killed them for the first six minutes of this show. But the this is the right team in the right spot. You know, whether or not they advance is kind of moot at this point. But I would imagine the city of D.C. is feeling pretty good about this football team because outside of Alex Smith, this is a young team. This is a young. I mean, you can really spend some dollars this offseason whether it's at the quarterback position, whether it's at the WR2, you know, I mean, Logan Thomas, you probably bring him back on a, on a small extension. These small, inexpensive young pieces just kind of worked out, right? Yeah, they have. And some of those young kids, they were talking about at the beginning of the season and, you know, some of them have flourished even more. Right. And I alluded to this a couple weeks ago with Alex Smith being, you know, if you're playing DFS, if you played Alex Smith and you played some of those weapons, you were probably doing fairly well on your team. As soon as Haskins came in, it was like, don't touch anyone because you didn't know if he was going to throw the ball or not. But Alex Smith is a complete game changer. And you're right. If he had been in there for the entire season, they probably would have hands down won the division and probably would have had a winning record or eight and eight at least. But, you know, um, from People that I follow in the area that are, uh, you know, sports commentators or uh, radio DJs for the sports shows down here, you know, I think they are ecstatic that the team has a positive vision forward as opposed to what has happened in the past. Sure. And, you know, all the, the coaching turnover and the, the negativity. Oh, nobody and, loves this more than Dan Snyder, is. Scott. I mean, he gets to bury all of his skeletons now and, and put this to the forefront, right? He does. And, you know, it, it, pending some Washington Post article <laughs> dropping and, yeah. and causing all that to disappear. But as far as the Washington franchise itself, the fact that you have – uh, a pretty stud defense. You have a, a a young running back. You have the wide receivers. If Alex Smith can come back, you know it, that changes a lot because you know do they do they draft somebody that's going to back up? Do they bring in one of these veterans that we've been talking about to sort of like an Andy Dalton to f- sit behind Alex Smith? Because now that Alex Smith is back, 
after this uh, game pending, if they lose to the Bucks, I mean, they, he's going to have at least six to seven months to really get his body even more into football shape right. and, and learn Ron Rivera's system and work with those wide receivers and running backs and tight ends in the offseason. Two for 40 left in his contract, completely non-guaranteed. $19 million to make next year. Um, I think they probably give him another year. And whether they need to restructure that contract for cap purposes, that's fine. You just push the dead cap down the line a little bit. But yeah, they probably draft somewhere in the second or third round, you know, because they have to cover up the Dwayne Haskins mistake. There's no question about that. But yep. Alex Smith is probably going into mentor mode again next year. And, uh, you know, whoever they bring in, it's going to be Alex take the reins for 16 weeks, most likely. And, uh, you, you know, our second round pick is going to sit behind him, learn the system, learn from him, similar to what, you know, he's done so many <laughs> times before now. But hey, look, he's 37. If there's 19 million to be made next year, I think everybody's on board with that. Why wouldn't you be? It's a good price for everybody. And like I said, young kids around that, you uh, you're setting yourself up for a, a really good situation, especially if you hit on that draft pick. You know, I don't think you need yes. to go out and get Matt Stafford or even take a shot on Wentz or Trubisky. I, I think you do your due diligence, take a shot with the draft pick. And then if, if that misses, like if you, know, if you don't like what you're seeing out of that kid in practice or, or in camp, then you go and swing big in free agency in 2022. But you've got a situation that seems to be working or at least trending upward and Alex Smith looks like he can play ball still. So I, I think that's a situation that sticks for one more season. Um, boy, I can't believe we spent that much time on the Washington football team. But, uh, you know, they're in. And that's what we're talking about today, our playoff teams. You know, we run the numbers. Where are the caps, cap payrolls in terms of teams that made the playoffs? Boy, you look at that AFC, Scott. The AFC has the top four cap payrolls in the NFL. All four of them are in. Okay, all four of those top cap payrolls are in. And in fact, the top two cap payrolls are the Colts and the Bills, and they're going to face each other Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern. So that's extremely interesting. Two teams in similar, it's kind of similarly built, right? Really heavily built through the draft. Uh, you know, the difference, of course, being that the Bills stamped a veteran wide receiver onto their roster this year and the Colts stamped a veteran quarterback onto the roster this year. So everybody, you know, each of these teams made one significant impact move that certainly pushed them into the next level. Now, the Colts are a seven seed, but I think they're a dangerous seven seed. Um, any of these matchups outside of, you, you know, even even non-financially speaking, anything stand out to you here? No, not really, to be honest. I, I, <laughs> I think the only one that may be iffy is, you know, the Bears squeaking in. Um, yeah. What, they're 8-8. Eight, eight. I think that's the only thing that may be, you know, you know, the iffy question there. But, you know, I, I look at, you mentioned the East has the top four cap spenders. Yeah. And, and I really quickly pulled them up just to see on their, their pages to see how much rollover that they had coming in from 2019. And those top four had 22 million or more in rollover space. So, you know, some of these teams, they're, they're utilizing that rollover space. And that's why they're, you know, the highest cap spenders because they can. They've been able to roll over that cap space and, and it allows them to mm-hmm. make, you know, in, in some instances, some risky picks if you want to take a chance on somebody but when you have teams like the you know 
we're looking at the Saints at 26 and the Washington football team at 27. You know, when you don't have as much rollover as some of those teams, right? It they, doesn't allow they you play that right up against the wall, the line every single year. You're right. There's not wiggle yeah. room, but at the same, they know exactly who they are. The Saints. So that's why Correct. they've been consistently in this long window of contention because they're only swapping out one or two pieces every year. They're not making wholesale changes or even making that one impact move like we talked about with the Colts and the Bills. Um, you know, and the other, the other side of that spectrum, Scott, is the dead cap or the lack there of it. You know, the Bills are 29th in dead cap. The Packers are 31st. The Bucks are 32nd. The Steelers are 28th. You know, the Seahawks are 26th, the Bears are 24th, the Colts are 23rd. It's not an accident. <laughs> you know, we talk about this every year. The teams at the top of this list are the Panthers, the Jets, the Jaguars, the Dolphins, the Vikings. The Rams are sixth. They sneak into the playoffs with a ton of dead cap after making really big moves to, to get rid of some players they just couldn't handle anymore. Um, but boy, you look at the top 15 of dead cap, you're not going to find too many playoff teams there. And that's just how it works. And then the other side of this, right? The other thing to look at, of course, because it, it tracks the in-season situation is the injured reserve list. So if we look at the, the, you know, the cumulative injured reserve situation, of course, the 49ers and the Bengals and the Broncos and the Cowboys, you know, we, we've been talking about how they're on the top of this list. Well, they're not in. Of course, they're not in. Okay. When you suffer the kind of injuries, financially speaking or not, you're just not going to win football games. The Patriots are fifth on this list, of course, and that doesn't even include their opt outs, you know, and that's part of this in season process where, you know, if you get to a certain point and too many players or the right players are injured or opt out or whatever, you just don't have a feasible chance over a 16, 16 uh, game season. So there's a lot of ways to look at this, but it's interesting to me that you've got AFC teams who went all in from a cap perspective. You know, you're like I said, the top four in the league and it, it paid off. It literally paid off here. They are now in January playing meaningful football. And you look at the kind of reverse situation in the NFC, a lot of teams that have been doing this now for a few years, they didn't have to make big moves this off season because they've been build either building up to this or they've had the opportunity already to kind of put themselves in contention either last year or, or the, for the past couple of seasons. And they're just kind of hanging on to it, right? The saints just kind of feel like they're hanging on here. I wouldn't say they're juggernauts as a two seed. I wouldn't even say the Packers as a one seed are juggernauts, even though Aaron Rodgers played out of his mind this season. But yeah, look, look you and I went back and forth yesterday a little bit about some of these storylines that we've talked about over the past 12, 12 or so weeks, man, that Aaron Rodgers storyline faded out pretty quickly, didn't it? <laughs> Right. The fact that that Green <laughs> that Bay didn't did. give him enough weapons. And I, I, look, I, there's a real legitimate case for Devonte Adams to be the actual MVP of this league. I know the guy throwing the ball is going to win it, but 18 touchdowns. He's open all the time, even though he's the only guy anybody's focusing on. There's no defense being built for Elm Lazard. You know, yeah. that's just not happening. You know, he's the benefactor of De Devonte Adams and Devonte Adams is open constantly. It is a it's a remarkable situation. He's not getting enough credit. So that team is filthy, but they're not deep filthy. And that defense could, you know, collapse at any moment moment in time. So I wouldn't say the NFC has any kind of juggernaut. And when you're flipping it to the AFC, we mentioned the Colts and the Bills. We haven't even talked about the Chiefs, who are the odds on Super Bowl favorites, have been throughout the entire season. Just kind of feels like they've cooled here. And you and I kind of spoke to that last yeah. week. You know, is that on purpose? 
Are they just kind of rolling themselves into January to make sure that they're healthy, that they're fit, that they're ready, that they're mentally capacitated? I'm, I'm, I would bank on that. Uh, you know, I know sitting here in Buffalo, a lot of people are dying to bet the bills. I still bet. I still think the chiefs have all the momentum and all the edge, even though Buffalo's offense looks outstanding. I, let's do it now before it all gets going here. Give me your Super Bowl picks now, Scott. Here's your 14 teams. Oh, um, wow. Bears, <laughs> Bears, uh, yeah, Titans is an incorrect answer. I will not accept the yeah. answer. <laughs> no, not at all. We I, I will go. I will go. Uh, Packers bills. All right, so you're you're going kind of chalk. That's probably what the momentum out there says right now in terms yeah, of the, I, the betting know, odds. Yeah, I know at the beginning of the season I said Seahawks Ravens, but you know that Seahawks defense they just they they're not good and they struggled <laughs> yesterday. They did and, against and Chris Streveler or Streveler or whatever the hell that is. Um, <laughs> and then the Ravens they just uh, you know. Th- they're not the team that I expected, and I don't think they're the team a lot of people expected this year. Um, you know, and then you go Steelers, even though they're a three seed, some something's going on with them where they just uh, they're a shell of themselves right now after going undefeated. It's like everything that you know. I'm not sure the Steelers get past the Browns here. If the Browns get either. their if the Browns get their full arsenal back, I think the Browns can beat the Steelers next week, and and, and you know that's definitely something to watch, but. Boy, I, it is a tough to pick. The, the, the NFC is such a toss-up. I, I guess I, I stay with the Saints. I believe I picked the Saints before the season, so I'll stay there. I, I, I think I picked Saints-Steelers, right? So I guess I have to stay Saints-Steelers. <laughs> I got to stay with my preseason pick, even though I hate it. All right. I hate it from the AFC standpoint, yeah. but um, it's probably not what I would bet if I had a chance to redo it, but I'll stick with my preseason pick. All right, teams that didn't make the playoffs. Yeah. Here's got good. Oh, I was gonna say. Let me ask you this: the commentators uh, during the Bills game they alluded to you know no fans in the stadiums and mm-hmm. you know it, d- does the fans in the stadiums actually help or or not, especially in the Bills stadium because you know how the Bills have been producing and it, it's a shame that the the Bills fans haven't been able to, to be in the stadium to experience what's been going on, but. You know, as going into the playoffs, you know, the Bills are going to have, what, about 6,700 yeah. uh, fans in the stadium. But having to go through Arrowhead, I think Arrowhead has had more fans in the stands than most of the games that I've seen. You know, it's usually pretty populated. You know, I, I think the fans in the stands is in this playoffs, whether you're NFC or AFC, is going to have more of an impact than some might think. What do you think? I don't know. I, I I tend to think that they've been doing this now for so long that the players have just found a way to motivate, to self-motivate themselves. You know, that they kind of figured this thing out by the, at this point. Um, and especially come playoff time, the, uh, the endorphins should be right there before the take-in. You know, they should be pumped up yeah. in the locker room, you know, before they even walk out on that field. It's certainly a letdown. <laughs> I mean, there's no question about it. You know, some yeah, of the some right. of the stadiums we have for the playoffs here, we should have Seattle, we should have the Superdome, we should have you know the Bills Stadium, and you said Arrowhead, of course. Th- 
those are massive fan stadiums, massive noise stadiums. So, you know, Correct. we as fans, even just from a TV experience, are going to miss that because the fake stuff is just the worst. Yep. Um, I just, I just think maybe that the, the players have it all figured out at this point, and you know, the, I don't. The Bills specifically certainly didn't need motivation yesterday <laughs> to put up an almost sixty well, spot it, on Miami. <laughs> well, in, in you know, we talk about the NBA with no fans in the bubble and everything like that, and with the NFL during the season, it may have helped actually helped more than anything. You know, being at your home stadium and you know having the normalcy of being in your own stadium, your own locker room and everything, but being on the field and, you know, having that surrounding and not having fans, you know, you mentioned it last week with Peyton Manning, him being able to hear everything on the field, what the coaches are yelling. It, it, it's an element of the game that I think is probably being over. Well, I know that was a, that was a big deal uh, for the NBA too, right? Scott, that you could, they could hear the benches. They can kind of hear the coaches coaching some of those players on the sidelines calling out defensive positioning and stuff like that. Uh, you know, it's not an accident that that bubble play was exceptional basketball. <laughs> I mean, it yep. was basically AAU, you know, high school gym basketball where you're right on top of each other. There's no other distractions. The only thing you can do day in and day out is play ball and talk ball. Um, well, you know, that's I, I, we're well, definitely you, getting to some of that from uh, from certainly from the quarterback play here. You know, I mentioned last week with Philip Rivers that t- many teams have noted that Philip Rivers has is not only, you know, being able to relay his own positioning to his lineman, but he's able, he's already able to figure out your defensive positioning and call that out as well. So yeah, the veterans are certainly banking off this situation, but I think everybody wants fans back. Yeah, I, I completely agree. The, the one thing that I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll push some caution to with, in respect to the bills is, you know, they've been playing at home with no fans for so long that I hope fans, coming in and the noise doesn't affect what they've been used to there and being able to hear things and, and play calls and it yeah. doesn't you know I don't want to call it a distraction because you know having the fans just amps you up even more so and I hope that's the case going into the game on Saturday I just I just think it's an interesting dynamic you know we've had so many games in the NFL where there have been some fans at some games and no fans at the other and it's sort of you know, it tips the scales in a way. I'd have to go back and look at the records for home versus um, away records to see how that ended up playing out. If it was close to 50-50 or because sure. um, I know towards the middle of the season it was 50-50. But I, it'll be interesting to see the, the dynamic. Do, does it pump them up even more or does it cause, a, you know, an, an issue where what they're so used to being able to hear things on the field and not being able to, you know, your offensive line, they've been able to hear every cadence yeah. that you'd call and, and everything. And now that there's fans and the screaming, they're not going to be able to hear it as much. So it's a, it's a dynamic that I think is, you know, from what I've heard and listened to is being overlooked in some cases. All right. A couple of teams that won't have to worry about that because they won't be in the playoffs in the next couple of weeks. Uh, we mentioned the dolphins. They laid an egg yesterday in Buffalo. I don't, I don't even know what that was. That was a team that had everything to play for and couldn't, I, I, you know, I think I thought Tua had good moments, but boy, oh boy, the storyline with them, Scott is it's a good team. They're well coached except for yesterday and they've got the number three pick, which is just incredible. I mean, the way this worked out, just incredible. Uh, you know, there's been mentioned that they do something there. 
What's the right move at number three for the, for the Miami Dolphins? You take an offensive lineman, the best offensive lineman, and you stock up as much as you can, like we've talked about. You, you use it effectively to build around so that whether it's Tua or someone else down the line has the line to protect them. Because if you don't have someone protecting you, you can't do anything. Um, and the quarterback's just going to scramble and you're going to look like the Jets. Yeah, tough to argue that. I mean, they're certainly in, in the position to trade that pick, but if the Jets ahead of them trade number two, uh, you know, that may be a difficult situation if the top two quarterbacks go right in front of them. But look, they'll, they'll be in position probably for the, the first non-quarterback drafted in, you know, 2021. Whether or not they make that pick or, like I said, trade back a little bit, boy, they got some power. They've got some assets to go with. There's no question about that. And they've got about $32 million in cap space projected right now. So they can go out to free agency and get themselves a WR2, maybe a better, you know, another tight end to go with Gasicki. Yeah, they're <laughs> it's kind of sky's the limit team for them right now. Fringe playoff team probably should be in, but uh, they have assets. They have a good roster. They have no notable free agents, truly none. Uh, they can bring back whoever they want. They can cut a few players to, to gain more cap space as needed. There are a few, a few players on my roster bubble list for them, but I just kind of see them as in really good shape. They, this wasn't the year for them. They're a year away. And if they play their cards right this March and April, I think they've got a really good chance to be competing with Buffalo for that division title next year. Speaking of which, uh, just your, your general first thought when you think Cowboys now. What are they going to do with everything. Is it a positive or is it a negative? Because I I still look at this roster and I think, how the hell did they lose so many games? There's no way Dak Prescott is this important. You know what I mean? I I, I think he's a great player. I think he's a top five statistical quarterback. You you know, I think he's probably a younger version of Kirk Cousins. So if you know that and you look at the rest of the weapons on this roster, yeah, they just got to rebuild the offensive line because of injuries, retirements, you know, kind of freaky things. If they can do that, if that's what they spend their draft and their free agency doing, now that's easier said than done, of course. They should be the favorites in the NFC East. How can they not? They've already got b- weapons on both sides of the ball that can make plays. So I, I agree. I, if Dak is back, Dak's the best quarterback in that division without even trying. You know, the, co- the Cowboys are sort of like... It's apples and oranges, but the Cowboys are sort of like the Golden State Warriors where they just had this year where they had a fluke injury, you know, guys sitting out. um, And I get that they're they're number 10 and the Warriors were number two. Couldn't they be the Brooklyn Uh, Nets where they had that year without their superstar, right? Kevin Durant last year. Yeah. And they still were pretty actually okay. I mean, the Brooklyn Nets actually snuck in and and they were contended to some degree. That's kind of what Dallas did this year. They kind of hung on, you know, even though everybody wrote them off immediately, but they get that one guy back and they should push forward. That's what we're seeing in Brooklyn, right? Yeah. And like you said, the, the weapons that they already have, and if they can get guys healthy, 
that at that number 10 pick, they can pretty much take whoever they want, especially yes. if they re-sign Dak. The fact the fact that the draft, and this is how it works differently than mm-hmm. the other sports. It's a good is point, Scott. The, 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 the free agency happens two months before the draft happens. So they're going to know all the pieces that they have in place, and then they can plug and play with their draft pick however they want. So if they weren't able to re-sign Dak or they, they go a different direction or – we're going to know going into the draft whether you know they're going that direction or not. And then if they do, and they add some other pieces on the offensive side or the defensive side, you know they're going to be able to target at number ten whoever they want. They're going to have free picking whatever's at that spot best available, unless they trade back and they try to acquire some assets. But it doesn't seem like a Jerry Jones. Uh, move. He, he seems like he's you know he wants to win now, and you're going to probably go out and get the the best available at that point. Yeah, I think they need they need to upgrade that secondary. They they lost a couple of players to free agency over the past few seasons. That's an obvious need for them, but so is the offensive line. So you're right. They could, uh, you know, there could be moves to be made here. I, you know, the the elephant in the room for that team is Zeke to me, because he's fully guaranteed for about a year and a half now. Out that you know in the, into the middle of 2022 just another bad i guess let's get into it let's get into it because look you know something go ahead no i was gonna say you know if dallas really wants to do do you think it am i too much of a hot take here does miami say i'll take zeke for the number two and something else you know because they could use the running back and they can trade back dallas can move up you know or you know whatever but i think that might be interesting if dallas if they do decide to move away from dak and go up if you know fields or whoever drops to three i do think that might be interesting. i do think that zeke is tradable it's to me it's not what a team takes zeke it's would jerry jones give up on zeke <laughs> there's just so much okay. pride they paid him a bit you know a lot of money to, to extend him last year you know they'd be giving up on him on him so early which i get look it's let's talk about it because it's you know, it's time to talk to get back into that discussion. You know, the next team on my list would have been the Giants, which it's it's a very similar story. The Giants, the defense kind of really stepped forward surprisingly this year. They've got three players, at least on the defense that they should pay. Leonard Williams, Delvin Thompson and somebody I'm forgetting the secondary. But the, there's no question they need to keep that intact because that's what held their season together. But they're bringing Saquon back, you know, this offensive piece. And it's another year for Daniel Jones, who can kind of find himself in the Josh Allen conversation of if he takes that step forward in year three, where are the Giants next year? But it's the running back conversation. We have to have it. Derrick Henry went for 2000 yards yesterday. He got paid. Dalvin Cook was arguably the best running back in all of football this year. He got paid. You know, Joe Mixon was off to a great start when he got paid. He got hurt, of course. That's the elephant in the room there. I don't know. I mean, what do you do with these guys? You, you just pay them, right? You guarantee them two years after their rookie contract and you pay them. And then you, I guess you toss them by the wayside after that. But I, I think the, and the, you know, the McCaffrey injury was a really obviously a stunt as well to this conversation, but I don't know. I, I, Zeke was bad. Zeke had a really bad year and he's a heck of an athlete and a heck of a running back. I'm not sure that this offense is the best fit for him. And I, I can't believe I'm saying that, but this is a pass first offense. He's not a big back out of the backfield kind of guy. 
Yeah, Miami makes sense, by the way. That's a that's that's not a bad fit for a, a team that's looking to maybe bring in a superstar like that, uh, an offensive role player, especially with Tua struggling right now. I like that. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna put that one down on the list, Scott, for for the off season. Where's your sense with the running back right now? I mean, with Aaron Jones, Chris Carson, you know, needing some kind of contract here, expected to hit the free agent market. You know, and that's just to name a few. Is it just going to be a lot of Melvin Gordon contracts? Eight, nine, ten million a year for a couple of seasons? Or are we going to see somebody, you know, is Saquon going to reset this market if he comes back healthy? Because he's eligible now. The running back position has been all over the place. But some of these players, like you said, Derrick Henry, Dalvin Cook, Kamara, I mean, Kamara was only 14th in yards rushing, but receiving. I oh, think he, he was, was the whole the team. Of the list. Yeah. You know, so he he was the he's the anomaly that he, he is both sides of the ball of passing an offense, whereas Henry is straight up smash mouth running back. I, I think you're right. I think as a team, you're at a point where if, if you think that that running back is going to take you over the top. In, in Derrick Henry or Dalvin Cook, yeah. you know, obviously Minnesota isn't in the playoffs. But if you think that that running back is going to put you over the top, then you have to sign them with that chance yeah. that they're not going to taper off as fast as some of these other running backs have. And and if you do, you know, you have to play a game of chicken where you, you want the contract to sort of maybe work in a Mahomes like where maybe it guarantees a year ahead of time, but you're not guaranteeing, you know, three years, four years out and you're being stuck. You have to, but you need to make it where it's where the running back is like, okay, I like that money or I, I, See, I'm gonna I, produce I think you're giving so that, running backs too much credit here. Unfortunately, uh, okay. th- there's just no leverage, Scott. I, the team basically can say, look, we'll guarantee you two years but it's going to be under our terms. We're going to have per game active bonuses to cover ourselves in case you get injured because there's like a 50 50 chance. And if you don't like that, we're just going to franchise tag you because the franchise tag is going to be like 9.1 million next year, a crazy good number for every team. So, you know, if Green Bay thinks Aaron Jones is worth a damn, but they know Jamal Williams and AJ Dillon can probably handle the load, but they really like Aaron Jones, just tag him. Just throw him on a $9 million contract for one year. I think we're going to see a lot of that this year with a lot of positions, but specifically with that one, the leverage is gone. Now, I think it was a good kind of like a global statement. I think it was a good year for running backs. You're right. Kamara held up that Saints offense literally on his own. No Michael Thomas, no Drew Brees for most of the year. Um, I, it, it was the Kamara show for a lot, a lot of a lot of weeks in New Orleans. So he is certainly worth the 14 million plus McCaffrey was great when he was out there. You know, he was as advertised. I don't think anybody's, you know, mad that he got the money he got. Delvin Cook had MVP votes somewhere throughout this season. He certainly was worth the bang. You know, I I think it was a good year for that. So let's kind of shift gears quickly and just run through the top paid players at every position right now, Scott, and kind of see where their teams respectively landed. I realize this is a jaded project, but we do it every year because it's just kind of a microcosm of, you know, if you've paid big somewhere, can the rest of your team kind of follow suit? Obviously, Mahomes, you know, that deal was so damn backloaded <laughs> that it doesn't even feel like they paid him. 
You know what I mean? The cap hit didn't move. It's barely going to move next year. Yeah. So you, you can call him the highest paid player in football, but from a team cap perspective, it really hasn't done anything. It's kind of like a hockey extension that doesn't, or a basketball extension that hasn't kicked in yet. Um, you know, that's not the case for Houston. And I had to make mention this morning on Twitter, Scott, I'm not sure anybody has had the year that Deshaun Watson has had on a worse team. I mean, that team was unwatchable, but he was damn near perfect. I mean, his stats across the board are top five across the board. I don't know how you do that. And it's not like it was just garbage time. You're just not on the field that much. You know, you're not even getting first downs. So where are these yards coming from? It's it's impressive what he did. It really is impressive. So look, here's your top six quarterbacks in terms of average pay. Mahomes, Watson, Wilson, Roethlisberger, Goff, Rodgers. That's your top six. You know, only Watson's out here in terms of the postseason. So not a bad life there uh, for if you're a top paid quarterback, which you can probably imagine. Uh, let's switch to the running back though. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, it's not bad. It's been worse in, in previous years. I'll put it that way, but obviously McCaffrey's out. Zeke's out. Kamara's in. David Johnson's out. Delvin Cook is out. Derrick Henry's in. Joe Mixon's out. Kenyon Drake is out. Melvin Gordon's out. Saquon Barkley's out. Austin Eckler's out. So not great. <laughs> okay. No, not at all. Not great. It's about two for tw- two for 11 there. If I'm doing my math correctly, it's not great, um, but it's one position. I think the I think the teams that did pay are probably happy. They paid. We'll see what happens. I think there's going to be a lot of movement in that position. As you as you alluded to, like the wide receiver wasn't much better. All right. Julio Jones missed basically the whole year. Hopkins had a great year, but misses the playoffs. Keenan Allen had a good year. He misses the playoffs. Amari Cooper may have been the third best wide receiver on his team. He misses the playoffs. Michael Thomas is on the IR. His team is the two seed. AJ Green out. Tyreek Hill was outstanding. Odell Beckham Jr. out are injured. Mike Evans in, but injured Robert Woods is the 10th highest paid wide receiver in football. By the way, he's in, you know, and and the list goes from there. Devontae Adams, by the way, is the 15th highest average paid wide receiver in football that may need to change this offseason. Just a little precursor. (laughs) Um, Look, it's the ads aren't good. Let's put it that way. I can continue down here. We can talk about Khalil Mack. We can talk about, you know, the, the highest paid player, George Kittle, of course, it's not a great look. Generally speaking, there is a correlation between paying somebody a ton of money, you know, you know, trend setting money in terms of a position versus how does that team do? But a lot of teams are getting smarter with that. Like I said, the Mahomes deal doesn't even feel like it, it exists right now because of the way the cap structure for his deal and Kelsey's deal and Chris Jones's deal. So you got to really look at the nuts and bolts. And it's, it's something we try to unpack on the show quite a bit. Anything else, Scott, with the NFL before we f- quickly f- switch gears to a really neat Major League Baseball tidbit that you've got? I mean, what, you know, I, I tweeted out a, a free agent all-star team this morning. There's some decent names. I'd say that in terms of position, the secondary is probably going to be the weakest position on the free agent market. There's a couple of nice names, but it's not like last year, not even close to last year where there was, there was a run of safeties and a couple of strong cornerbacks. I expect that to be draft heavy for a lot of teams, the secondaries. Um, there are some edge rushers out there and, you know, guys like JJ Watt may be available. Von Miller may become available. 
some savvy veterans out there. Fletcher Cox, I mentioned in the open with the Eagles might be available. Um, so it's going to be about the quarterbacks, maybe about some running backs and maybe about some wide receivers as well. This off season, what's kind of a, what's kind of your preview here as we head into the off season for really a lot of teams here. You know, running the analytics on the players, especially in the draft and, and don't, don't overshoot. Uh, I, I, we know teams like to overpay because they, they fall in love with a guy, especially in free agency. And, you know, some of them shoot too high and, and it's a bust. You alluded to that last, I think last week when we were looking at free agents, yeah, the top 10, yeah. top, top 10. And they're, you know, middle of the pack or, or lower based on that. So don't overshoot. And the teams that are ready and teams that are, you know, going to draft well, you know, your window is short. Look at the Buffalo Bills. I, I know I bring them up. We're, we're homers, but you know you've got Zach Moss and Singletary on rookie deals. You got Josh Allen on a rookie deal. You got Gabriel Davis who came out of nowhere. You know you got Diggs who I think I saw he's what 14th, 15th, 16th AAV right now. Um, you, you've, you've yeah got that might have to change too. <laughs> <laughs> right. But you have tight ends that aren't highest paid right now. So right, right now their window is do what you can with what you have. But they, they've been drafting smart. Mm -hmm. they, they haven't overshot their pay, their free agent payments. They've they've targeted guys who were not cancers in the locker room. So maybe that's another thing. Don't 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 bring in guys that are going to be just because they're good on the field doesn't mean that they're going to come into the locker room and help your guys and help especially the, the young guys that you're drafting. Um, I, I just think teams that are trying to retool need to be smarter with their money than just throwing darts at a wall and saying, this is the top free agent defensive lineman. So we're going to throw a crap load of money at him just because we want to get him in our door. How about the fact that two free agent quarterbacks made the playoffs? That's not something that's normal. No, it's not normal that Tom well, Brady and Philip Rivers hit free agency, <laughs> but right. it, but that might become more normal. That might become more normal because of what you're saying, because the, everybody's trying to build through the draft, because b being a homegrown works in this league and you're going to have guys. I mean, Andy Dalton walked, you know, we had some savvy vets walk in the past couple of seasons. I think it might happen again. Matthew Stafford may be outright released. Matt Ryan may be traded. You know what I mean? We're going to see more movement, I think, in the veteran quarterback cycle. And it seemed to work. If you can if you can pick the right player, you know, I think Phillip Rivers was a really good fit for Frank Reich's system. And that, that really kind of showed its face the second half of the season. But it's not normal that free agent quarterbacks are any kind of successful, let alone playoff successful. So I, that's a trend I'm going to keep an eye on. You know, right, where's Andy Dalton going to head next year? Where's Stafford going to be next year if he's released? If Carson, Carson Wentz isn't going to be released, you know, he's going to be traded. But uh, the movement itself is interesting, and uh, it's something to keep an eye on for 2021. Yeah, because I have four teams looking at the draft right now that if you brought in one of those veteran quarterbacks could potentially change your team uh, you know, just like Tampa Bay or the Colts, you know, plug and play. You've got Denver. Yep. They've got some weapons there. They, they need probably an upgrade in their quarterback. I'd agree with that. You've got San Francisco, San Francisco. You know, they, they again, they've got the tools there. They've got the defense. You, you get a quarterback that is an upgrade over what they've had for this season. New England, they, they have 
issues all over the place, but I, I saw yesterday that Cam is probably not coming back, so that quarterback position is open there. And then the last team is Las Vegas, um, whether they want to keep Carr or move on and have an upgrade. But those are teams that are in the middle of the draft, and so if, if they're not in love with where they're at, they could potentially go a different route. But like I said earlier, we're going to know where they are for the draft because free agency comes two months ahead of time. So we're going to know sort of where they're going to target based on their signings unless they pull a New England and wait until three weeks before the season to sign uh, like Cam Newton. I think you're going to see a lot of that. Yeah, I really do. I, th- I think there's going to be a lot of waiting around, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, if you like your guy, you're probably going to franchise tag him. And whether that means a long-term deal or not depends on how the rest of your offseason goes. You know, you've got till July 15th at that point. I- Here's the last question, just because I, I-, I want to bring it up. I'm not even going to ask, is Ryan Fitzpatrick done? I'm going to ask this question. Is Ryan Fitzpatrick starting for somebody next year? You know what? I'm going to say yes. What, what if Ryan Fitzpatrick yes. starts for the Bears next year? Yeah, why Would not? Bears fans really freaking hate that? You know what's better than, than you, know, you know what's worse maybe than starting Ryan Fitzpatrick in 2021? Peyton Mitchell Trubisky. <laughs> that might be worse because yeah. the, fr- the franchise tag is probably going to be around the $20 million mark. You know, I don't have it in front of me. That's, that's good dough on a one-year basis, it and it's a big cap hit in a year where cap's going down. Wouldn't you rather throw, you know, six, seven, maybe four with incentives at Ryan Fitzpatrick, knowing you've got Nick Foles already fully guaranteed behind him? I, you're no, a contender. And no, you're, you're, you're and one of those Colts-type teams right now, and if that's a position you have to upgrade with just better management of the game, you know, and a guy who can throw the ball downfield to some of these burners, do it. Do it. Don't go big on Matthew Stafford. You don't have to do that or, or, or make it Andy Dalton. You know, Andy Dalton should be in the same boat as that. You know, I, yeah. I, I just think there's a there's a world where Ryan Fitzpatrick is a better choice than a $20 million quarterback right now. And I think the Dolphins proved that maybe eight weeks of the season. <laughs> yeah. And the fact that he could be a starter, but in if you go a different route, you know, like they did in Miami and you can throw him in. He's like a middle reliever or a closer in baseball. You can just throw him in yeah. and he's going to go in and he's ready to go at any moment in time. So he, he really is a, a, a player that, you know, like you said, the bears could use, you know, even if it's, you know, you know, San Francisco, if they wanted to start with him, mm-hmm. you know, he really can plug and play in any system. He just, he has that journeyman track record. I like it. All right. Let's get, let's talk some major league baseball. Cause I know you follow this. Uh, is it a Twitter account that basically posts this out? Scott, explain what you've got here for us for the hall of fame. Yeah. So I, I randomly came upon it from a, a tweet from Buster Olney ESPN. Um, he, he tweeted out this link talking about baseball hall of fame. So I took a look at it and it's actually a, uh, it's an Excel, Excel spreadsheet, Excel yeah. <laughs> spreadsheet that is live on the internet 
and it tracks all the public voting ballots for the Hall of Fame. And they keep track and they say if it was a change from this year or last year and they even I mean, they put in where the vote came from so you can reference it. They've got it all calculated to see if a player is trending towards the 75 percent mark or not. And it's and it it is constantly updated. And um, it's it's pretty neat. I mean, looks like it's been like almost 15 years that they've been tracking this, right? I wish we knew who this was. We can give credit to him. Oh, follow at not Mr. Tibbs on Twitter. There you go. Not Mr. Tibbs. And we'll tweet out the link to this tracker. It's awesome. It's really well done. And we're all for anybody tracking sports related data for sure. So this is right in our wheelhouse. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. I mean, it's very in depth. They're up to 139 guys right now. You can go back and see historical Mm -hmm. and um, and they've done whoever it is has done a really nice job of it. Um, but the reason I messaged you yesterday about it saying, you know, there was a, a person on a a first ballot voter Mm -hmm. who posted their ballot online to show what they did. And they left it blank saying that no one that is available for voting for hall of fame deserves to be in the hall of fame because of that era that these players were in. And, you know, that that rubbed me the wrong way. Yeah, you're a first time ballot voter, and you vote for nobody. That that's not right. That I, I get that there's a you know the steroid era, and we all know that it had the implications that it has. But because of all these players being in there, that person is essentially saying every stat imaginable within any time frame should just be eradicated from baseball history, which it can't because what happened back then is affecting what is happening right now. And as a lot of people have said, I know Buster has said it. I, you've said it as well. Just put an asterisk or some note that this was the error that has happened and, and vote them in. But the fact that this person voted for absolutely nobody is a disservice to this whole process. So just to be just to be fair, there's actually five empty ballots this year, according to this this tool, Scott. One of them is by the first time voter, but there are five blank ballots. So this is not a a one off. There are many people out here clearly that think that the the current group of names being adjudicated for this process don't belong in. Buster says this pretty specifically a lot. And I know you and I follow him a lot and follow a lot of these baseball guys who kind of all think aligned here. This is a museum. Okay. This isn't, this isn't the Egyptian tombs where we have to hold it up to the highest regard. It's a museum. I've walked in. It's a building. All right. My kids went to the gift shop. We bought fake signed baseballs. Okay. It's a business. It's what it is. This is a business just like baseball's a business. And it's a game. And, you know, sometimes you have kids that bunt in pitching machine baseball because their dads taught them how to bunt and the kids can't feel grounders and the catchers stink. And the kid knows that if he bunts off the pitching machine, he's going to get a hit every time. Right? Baseball's been bending the rules for 150 years. It's just part of the game. Now, the steroids were wrong, they were illegal. But guess what? For a lot of these players, they weren't illegal. at the time. 
right? There's a lot of that too. I mean, Mark McGuire's, you know, stimulants weren't illegal. They were unethical and a lot of people hated that he was doing it, but you know, I'm not going to go down that path too much here, but to say that from a baseball game perspective that none of these guys belong, you can tell me Manny, Manny Ramirez took steroids every day his entire career. I still think Manny Ramirez is the, one of the best pure hitters I've ever seen in my entire life. And if you've ever heard him speak about his hitting process or speak about his preparation, it is one of the most fascinating things. Find it on YouTube. By the way, Manny Ramirez is still playing baseball internationally. He is the Yarmor Yager of baseball right now. Uh, this guy loves the game. He was damn good at the game. He was one of the best pure hitters in the history of the game. He should be in. He's not even going to get close. Give us a couple of names here who are at least close, Scott, coming up here. I don't think anybody's getting in this time, but give us a shot here. Yeah, so it looks like Barry Bonds is at 73%. We've got Roger Clemens at 72%, and we've got Kurt Schilling at 71% right now. That's about so, it, right? Andrew Jones is that, 43. Yeah, he's not going to be he's not going to make it. Um no. Scott Rollins at 68. That was a solid player. Um and boy, let's just finish with that. Scott Rollins was a nice player. You know, I have have all his baseball cards. He was fun to watch, solid third baseman, but nothing about him was excellent. So, <laughs> I mean, right. you're telling me that in terms of the game, and your level, your importance to the game, because that's that should also matter here. You know, bringing in fans, bringing butts to seats. That's part of the game. That's part of the business of the game. That should matter here. And Barry Bonds brought a lot of asses to seats in San Francisco. <laughs> all right. A lot and a lot of eyeballs onto ESPN every single night for, for yes. you, you know, those streaks that matters. Yes, yeah. it was unethical what he was doing man, the game was better for it at the time and the game allowed it at the time. The game didn't pull him out of the, uh, you know, out of the uniform. So uh, there, that should factor. It should factor. It really, it really should. And Scott Rowland didn't put butts in seats. He was a nice player, a solid player. I enjoyed watching him, but it's just wrong. Well, it's wrong to think it, that, that way. In my opinion, it's, it is, it's too specific to go in with, with a closed mind thinking, well, there's only one type of player that belongs in the game. And if none of these players, players fully meet the criteria, they're out. That's you can't look at it that way. Okay. You can't because then Allen Iverson doesn't belong in the NBA basketball, you know, in the basketball hall of fame because he didn't fit the mold. He started his own trend. He started his own, you know, lane. Uh, So whatever. It's enough for me on that. Like I said, look, like I said, what happened in that era has affected now and just after that era, whether it's statistically or financially, because guys that came in after that, that were hitting home runs, yep. you know, they, they got paid because of what happened with McGuire and Sosa and, and bonds. And so it, 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 it's something that cannot be uh, ignored. And like I said, if, if there has to be a wing, of those players, then make it a wing of those players. Like I said, it's a museum, but this is only a third of the votes. I looked in 2020 uh, on this spreadsheet and there was about almost 400 votes. And so we're about a third of the votes that the, this 
Excel spreadsheet tracks. So it'll be interesting to see as more votes come in. Yeah. But as I click back, you know, I went back five years and the blank val- blank ballots out of the last five years, there was only like three blank ballots out of all of the. So it's a new uh, trend. Votes. So there's five already right now that have blank. So it, a, it's going to be interesting to see where these trends go as the other two thirds of votes come in. But it's going to be an interesting trend to see if there's really going to be more All blank right. ballots. And there are going to be 15 blank ballots because well, if you follow. Let me say this, Scott. The, let let the me analytics. spin this positive a little bit because what you're saying actually just brought an, another thought to my mind here. If you are of the mindset, if you have a vote and you're of the mindset that the steroid guys are absolutely not getting in, then I agree with the blank ballot because I don't think Scott Rowland should be a Hall of Famer. I don't think Michael Kadire should be a Hall of Famer. You know what I mean? Barry Zito, to some degree, maybe, I guess he was good. You know, Pettit's a steroid guy. Yeah. The list surrounding, like I said, we'll tweet this out. The list surrounding these steroid guys is above average, but not elite. These aren't elite players. They were solid, great players. I enjoyed all of them, but um, I think I can justify a blank ballot if you're completely off on the steroid guys. I just don't agree with that mindset, but that is, I want to finish there. I don't want average guys getting in just because they have a better track record than the steroid guys. Do you know what I mean? It shouldn't be a guarantee that somebody gets in every year. So I'm not going to kill the blank ballot guys too much outside of the fact that, you know, bonds and, and Clemens and those guys should be in regardless, but I get it. So something to keep an eye on. We will come back to this. Why not? If, the, if only 30% of the votes are in, let's come back to this in a couple of weeks and kind of see where things stand as it trends towards the, uh, you know, the induction process, but good find by you again. That's at not Mr. Tibbs on Twitter. Really nice job with the spreadsheet. We, uh, we love this kind of stuff. We geek out on it. All right, Scott, we'll be back with, uh, I guess some basketball this week. Why not? Right. Keith Smith. Yeah. Sounds good. Sure. Thanks to the athletic visit the athletic.com slash spot track for 40% off your first year subscription. Check out olbg.com. Learn a little bit more about your betting process, play some free games, win some great prizes in the same breath. Olbg.com for Scott Allen. My name is Mike Gennetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the spot trick podcast. 